Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Independent Thoughts. This is your host, Desmond Price, and today I am joined by another friend of the podcast, Rashida Green. Rashida, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for me. Yeah, thank you so much. Now, Rashida comes from a podcast that she hosts called The Crossroads. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, like what exactly you cover on it and why you started it? Sure. So I actually started the the Crossroads podcast um, as a part of my uh, master's program. It was my capstone project. So um, I got my master's degree in urban sustainability, which is in essence a mixture of environmental science and also social justice. And that's what my podcast brings together. It's really just looking for the intersections between the environment, the issues that we're facing in the environment, and really how they impact the Black community and not just in the U.S., but um, around the world. And that's how I got started. That's my passion is just to bring this information to folks. I I really had a passion for incarceration work, Um, definitely working more into getting like abolition as opposed to just criminal justice reform. And just wanted to see how that kind of married in with the environment. And of course, I found some very clear links. And so I've covered mass incarceration on my show, agriculture, um, incineration, uh, water, so just a nice mix of science and social justice. Okay, okay. Now, I would say that I'm already sold, but I've already listened to a few episodes. (laughs) So, you know, like, as I was listening to a couple of your episodes, I do realize that you do some pretty deep dives into some specific topics. Like, where do you get the motivation to, like, cover some of the topics that you cover? Because it seems like you were kind of... I mean, you go into very different avenues of what you decide to cover on your podcast. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with my, like, my background education-wise. So I have a, on my bachelor's degree is in biology. And I wanted to be a doctor, but I kind of realized that maybe that wasn't the right realm. But where I know I fit is research. So I, I really just enjoy seeking out information and learning new things. And that really drives a lot of the, the content that I bring to the show. So because I'm still in school, I have access to, a, you know, the JSTOR, all that, you know, all those databases with a lot of information. And what I realize in the process of doing a lot of this research is that a lot of this stuff isn't available to everybody. And I wouldn't right. have access to it necessarily if I weren't in academia or, you know, in school. So having that and knowing that that's a barrier for folks makes me want to learn more so that I can interpret it for myself and then break it down and and disseminate it. Okay. Now, you know, for those who don't know, I, whenever someone new comes on the podcast, I always like to ask them like what part of the country they're from, because I like to just, you know, kind of like portray to the listeners at home that we are bringing on people from all over the country where they might have different perspectives on different issues, different topics. So what part of the country are you currently in? I'm on the East Coast, um, specifically the Mid-Atlantic. Okay. So in the DC metro area? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So 
speaking of you know dc which kind of like brings us back to what the focus of this episode is about it's an election year and Mm -hmm. i wanted to ask you to come on the podcast today to talk about specifically why voting matters slash also a question does your vote matter because that's a question that i feel as though a lot of people end up asking themselves you know does my vote matter like why should i vote obviously there are plenty of people who are engaged in the political process they don't have to ask themselves that question but there are still those who do unfortunately um one of the studies that i saw from 2016 was that in that particular election over a hundred million people did not vote Mm-hmm. And in an election where you have Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, you know, like it was a really just confusing thing for me personally, you know, trying to figure out why 100 million people would not want to vote when the election basically, you know, like seemed like it was going to be something that would have a lot of consequences for a lot of different people's lives. But yeah, I think the thing that really was highlighted for me was that maybe... I don't understand all too like well why exactly people wouldn't vote. And so today's episode is focused on that. Let's kind of take a little bit of a dive into what exactly is keeping people from wanting to vote or being able to vote. Right. And so what are your thoughts on that? Like just like first impressions, like do you have like certain things that you've heard from people that you know in your personal life who don't vote and reasons why they may not vote? Um so I, I, I can't say that I have too many folks in my life who aren't voting. I'm one of those people who grew up really, really kind of entrenched in what I had instilled in me as far as the importance of voting. And I know people don't really like to talk about that or don't really want to hear that right now as far as, you know, our ancestors were attacked by dogs and all these things. And that because of them, we should vote, right? And so what I heard in 2016 and what I'm also now hearing this year is that people are not really pleased with the, the candidates that they have to choose right. from. And I think that's one of, the many, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why people feel very apathetic about voting. Like everyone can look and see that, you know, perhaps, not perhaps, but, you know, for the sake of the listeners, that perhaps Donald Trump is not the best person to do four more years of, of anything. And the other side of that is that we don't feel the full confidence in who the Democrats have offered us in, in the way of Joe Biden yeah. and Kamala Harris in her non-Timberland boots. So <laughs> we're, you know, we're given these options and people are thinking like, you know, if I, I don't have a choice, I can only choose these two folks. And if there is another candidate, I'm in essence throwing my vote away. And then probably the cycle or the cycle and the question that comes next is, does my vote really even matter? And that I is, think that's a great decision. question. That is a yeah. great question. You know, I, I felt as much, you know, cause I also do another podcast where, uh, just a few collection of friends, you know, so quick shout out to the lip service podcast, which you can find on Facebook. I do that podcast about like once a week. And, you know, we talk to people who, you know, just don't really always like believe in the candidates that we have available to them. We have a lot of people who believe in like voting third party because they don't feel like the Mm -hmm. two candidates represent them. But I wanted to see if there was additional reasons, like maybe there's some other reasons why people don't vote. And I found a study that was published by the Washington Post a few years back. 
and they polled people, all the people who didn't vote uh, in the previous election and asked exactly why didn't you vote in the election? And the number one reason that people gave um, coming in at, at like almost like a third of people who were polled said that they were just too busy on election day. What? And yes, uh, about too 30, busy, too busy. And, you know, that's a little hard for me to hear personally, but I decided, you know, keep an open mind to that. Let's talk about like maybe some of the reasons why people might be too busy. First of mm -hmm. all, it makes no sense to me that election day is on a Tuesday. Yeah. Why exactly is that? And you'd be surprised to hear the history behind that. So apparently, for those who don't know, the reason why election day is on a Tuesday is because back in the 1830s, when it was established into law here in America, uh, it was already given that you would not vote on the Sabbath because that was God's day. Right. And so basically, a lot of people had to travel to vote. They had to travel to where they would vote too. So Monday was considered a travel day. And then Tuesday, you would actually vote. Huh. And so because of that law that was passed in the 1830s around basically trying to help farmers make sure they could, you know, show up for election day and vote. Yeah. We still to this day have election day being held on a Tuesday, which they mm. refused to make a national holiday, you know, for reasons we right. can get into later in this episode. Mm -hmm. So I've always thought that election day should be at least at the very least on a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still going to impact folks who don't work a traditional nine to five. Right. Um, and that's the other side of it. But I definitely think that there should be, it should be a voting period. I don't think it should be a, it should be voting day should be the similar, the equivalent of tax day, where this is the last day that you have to get this done. Not a, the, right. the, the day that if you don't vote, then forget about it. You know what I mean? I completely agree. And I think as though, you know, I, two different points I want to make here. First of all, I think that I agree with you that it should be the final day that you can vote. But with that being said, that day should be a day that makes it the easiest for the most number of people to vote. Agreed. You know, a weekend is not going to solve every problem because there's plenty of people who, who work on the weekends, but at least you would increase the amount of people who could turn out and in our country i feel too much that if people can't fix things completely they don't even want to try to improve things slightly and i think that's a terrible idea to have a terrible thought process to have when it comes to these issues now early voting obviously is something that you know we can get around these issues because mm -hmm. you have so many states that have you know, to their credit, have increased the amount of early voting that you can do since 2014, yep. actually. In the last six years, mm -hmm. almost every two years, more and more states have increased the amount of, like, time that you have to early vote. I know in the state that I live in, in Montana, you have three weeks, I yes, you have three weeks to vote early before the election, which should take out that excuse about early voting, right? Yeah. Now, another one of the reasons that people said that they couldn't vote because was because of having... Um, an illness or disability, just mm. not being able to get to the polls for several different reasons, which is another thing that, you know, I can understand what could be a complication for some people, which is yeah. why I'm also a big advocate of mail-in voting, which obviously for a pandemic has yes. come into play even more so, but even in non-pandemic times, I 
strongly have been an advocate for mail-in voting. For those who haven't listened to my other mail-in voting episode, I have actually never voted in person in my entire life. Really? Really. I got a mail-in, my, you know, aunt and uncle who I grew up with, um, they got me a mail-in ballot for my first election, which was the 2008 election was when I turned 18. And ever since then, I've been voting by mail, like for every single election, every, every year. Well, because, you know, you have the local elections in the, in the odd years. So, uh, yeah, I've never stood in line to vote in my entire life. So I don't understand nice. why it's such a, a big talking point or how people in the news want to talk about how it's some, some new rogue radical idea that the Democrats are perpetuating. Oh, it's it's uh it's the same thing that's going on right now. There's a lot of um, uh, kind of focus right now on Texas because Texas is like considered to be like a hotbed for for voting rights, particularly voting suppression. Yes, I mean they're not <laughs> much like what we saw in, in in Georgia. You know, it's the same kinds of 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 things, and it seems that you know there's just a very concerted effort to limit the number of people who are have access to voting and i think that's also when you eliminate a certain level or a certain amount of the population would happen in several states for that have um that don't allow folks who have been incarcerated to either vote when they come out or to vote while they're incarcerated i mean depending on the length of your sentence how many election cycles can you miss you know and i think that's one of the the other sides of this too is that there's a lot of 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 suppression going on as well yeah there there definitely is a lot of suppression going on. And that is, you know, like as we're transitioning right now, like that is one of the main reasons why people don't vote is for various forms of voter suppression. And voter suppression can take several different like avenues about how someone wants to really suppress the vote in their communities. I think the one that really bothers me the most, and, and there are several of them, but the one that bothers me the most is actually just voter registration. Mm-hmm. I personally do not understand why we have a system where you have to require people to go out of their way to register to vote. And then every state has a different way to have it be done. And so Mm -hmm. that it just complicates things for the voters. The IRS has no problem finding you on tax day, you know, when when you owe them money, but they can't figure out how to like, just like combine that department with another department that can just automatically enroll you to vote where you live. Is that right. what they want us to believe? I, I personally don't understand that. What are, what are your thoughts on like automatic voter registration? I think that it should just be, and, and there are, I believe there are at least, there are a few States that, that do have automatic voter registration. And I think that that should just be, what happens when a person turns 18 they should automatically be be allowed to vote and i don't really even think that 18 is the the ideal age to allow um folks to vote i don't see what the point of having 18 to be that to be that the start of that to start of of being able to participate in the legislative process so you know are the democratic process of voting so i i basically just think that you know there's a lot of of means and methods for disenfranchising folks from voting. I would think that one of the main ways to do that is to limit who is allowed to vote by 
eight. We have um, for like nationally is 18, but also um, having different criteria for what, how people are allowed to vote. So I think that there should be automatic voter registration. And I don't think there should be any restrictions, even if folks happen to end up uh, behind bars either. You know, there's a couple different points I wanted to make here. Um, Cause you know, you bring up the, you know, people who currently cannot vote because they're in jail, mm -hmm. but I wanted to give, you know, I know that on your show, you talk about giving out flowers to people. Mm -hmm. So I am going to not steal your, steal your thunder here. I'm not going to give flowers, but I'm going to give props to the following states. Um, let's see here, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, Illinois, Michigan, Georgia, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, and Maine are all states that have automatic voter registration already. Here's the problem mm -hmm. with their automatic mm -hmm. voter registration, though. In my opinion, it doesn't go far enough because the way that it works for all of mm -hmm. those states, with the exception of Alaska, is that the automatic voter registration only goes into effect if you happen to interact with the DMV on that given year. Um. And so if you don't go to the DMV for any reason, which most people only go once every eight years to renew their That's license, right. then the automatic voter registration does not take place. Now in Alaska, they have a different story. They have their uh, they're basically their UBI system going on up there from the oil dividends. So every mm -hmm. year, Alaskans get a oil check. And when they go to apply for that, they can get automatically registered. So they have in basically in practice, Alaska has the only perfect system in my view, because you have to do it annually. Mm -hmm. But every other state is if you're not interacting with the DMV, then you don't, you're not automatically registered. So you still have to go and register. So it's, it's a, a temporary fix. It's, a, it's like, putting a band-aid on a gash. It is. And you know what, when I, when I was doing some looking as far as like, you know, what states have different or the most strict voting laws or voter ID laws, you know, the thing that I found is just that, you know, a lot of these things just came about within the last five years of right. allowing online voter registration in the rec in recently. I mean, yes. as Oklahoma, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned Oklahoma already, but um, they're, they just had legislation passed and they're hoping to get the actual online platform implemented this year. So, <laughs> and that there's, yeah, and there's still nine other states that are just not doing it. So still in the year 2020, we're still having these states make these calls that could potentially disenfranchise folks from voting. Right. And for the listeners out there, the states that I just rattled off, all of them have only enacted these laws since 2016, with the exceptions of yeah. California and Oregon, who enacted them in 2015. So mm -hmm. these are all very recent developments. So it's only yeah. been recently that these states have gone out of their way to even try to you know, allow more voting to take place in their states. And even doing so, they pass legislation that is obviously flawed. It's so obviously flawed, it only took us 30 seconds to figure out why it was messed up. Right. They couldn't find a way to put a better framework in place. So we still deal with voter suppression in our country to a high degree, as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, on a really random side note, I, while I was doing 
um, research for this episode, I was looking at voter turnouts in mm. all over the country, right? And I, the first thing that I came across was that the U.S. was 31st out of 35 developed countries uh, as far as voter turnout was concerned in advanced democracies. And this was a study done by the Pew Research Center. Pew. Yeah, Pew. It's a great acronym, Sorry. right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And the state that was the absolute lowest on the list was actually really shocking to me. I had to go out of my way to research why it was this state. But the state with the lowest turnout every every year going for like the entire century so far is Hawaii. Hmm. And so I had to take a little bit of time to kind of figure out what exactly is going on in Hawaii. Like, why does Hawaii not want to vote? And it seemed as though one of the biggest reasons that Hawaii doesn't like to vote is that um, apparently they feel disconnected from the rest of the country. Because by the time that a lot of mm. people get off work, you know, because they all work nine to fives like the rest of us do, but right. you know, five o'clock in Hawaii is 11 o'clock in the East Coast. And so by the time they're getting off of work, the president's usually already been declared. Hmm. And they, you know, also don't have, I think they only recently instituted early voting in that state. So for the longest time, a lot of Hawaiians just never really felt like they even should vote because it didn't matter if they voted or not. Wow. So we have lots of different issues going on. You know, we yeah. have we have Hawaii and you know, not feeling like they're involved. You have the problems with registration. We also have problems with gerrymandering. Oh. Now you you live in um, you live in an area where gerrymanderings become kind of a, a fun topic of discussion because you know when we think of gerrymandering, we, we normally think about Republicans gerrymandering. But there are some states in your area where Democrats have gerrymandered the hell out of those states for their. Oh opinion. yeah, yeah. There's definitely been a gerrymandering is a is a pretty big deal in Maryland. It's you know outwardly um, the the projection of Maryland is that it's a hardcore Democratic state, right? Yeah. And the reality is is that when you actually look at Maryland and how it's divided up county wise, how that's broken out. Um, the there is a swath of very conservative areas, and in reality, Maryland is a little more purple than I would say either. That I would definitely say blue, a little bit more purplish. I mean, we have a Republican governor for God's sake, and you know, I know people were like, he's doing a good job during the COVID, and he did all right. That's fine. I'll give him that. But in general, I mean, there's a lot of things that you know, have also happened <laughs> during his tenure that we, we need to call into question. And, but the outward look is that, that Maryland is this state, but is this, you know, hardcore blue state, but it really is not. And it's been, there are specific communities where the lines that are drawn for districts cut through neighborhoods. And even, and these lines, and we, we should all be very familiar when we talk about lines and drawings, especially when we're talking about housing and, and redlining. I mean, gerrymandering to me is not that much different. You're really, you know, sculpt, the Democrats have used this, unfortunately, as a method to carve themselves a victory is how I would describe it. Yes. And 
it's one of those things where, you know, as I was doing my research for this episode, you know, it's, you want to find a, you want to try to like blame one person for issues that are happening or one entity. But unfortunately, gerrymandering is one of those things that both parties seems to be completely okay with taking advantage of. Yes. And I think it's something that more people need to kind of address, you know, like just as a whole, because, you know, too often in politics, we like to talk about like, oh, well, the Democrats need to change this or the Republicans need to change this. And you don't really want to attack your own party for the things that they're doing wrong, because unfortunately, I feel like a lot of Americans have kind of a almost like a an identity with their political beliefs. Mm-hmm. They like, if I'm a Democrat, then I can't criticize other Democrats. If I'm a Republican, I can't criticize other Republicans. But this is, I, I feel like there's certain issues where you need to be a little more critical of the people you vote for because gerrymandering all across the board does not make any sense to me whatsoever. But, you know, one of the things that I would say is a little more blatant for one party than the other might be the voter suppression that comes from reductions in polling places. Mm-hmm. This was something that caught my eye during the primaries. Mm-hmm. Now, this has been going on for a long time, so I don't want to yes, make this sound like this is a low, like a new issue. This is a very old issue. Yes, it is. I'm just going to bring recent examples to kind of illustrate the idea that this is alive and well. And you don't have to look any further than two different states in the primaries, actually three, I'm going to pull three out here, in Kentucky, in Texas, and in Wisconsin. So in Texas, they had, during the primaries, they were trying to limit certain areas and where they were able to vote, um, notably in college towns, as they were trying to limit the amount of polling stations in college towns across the state so and forcing kind of students to all vote in like one or two polling places in the entire city where a lot of where they knew a lot of students didn't really have access to vehicles or such or that they could drive to other towns to vote Mm -hmm. and the same thing also happened in uh in arbor michigan and also in east lansing michigan the two big college towns up there where michigan state and the university of michigan are where they had tens of thousands of students being reduced to three different polling places Crossing over to Wisconsin in April, you had Milwaukee drop their number of polling places from 180 to down to just five for an area that has millions of people in it. Or going over to Kentucky, where they had, they had, what was it? Uh, they had like 370,000 people also trying to vote between five different, no, they, they cut their polling numbers down from 3,700 locations to 170 locations on their primary day. So this is, this is absurd to me, you know, especially yeah. during a time of coronavirus. I mean, like just in general, it's a terrible policy, but in time of coronavirus, Kentucky and Wisconsin, like limiting their polling places to actually cram more people into a location. Right. There's no way that you could say that they were doing that for any other reason to get people to not vote because they were afraid of contracting the virus by being in large groups. Right. And what exactly can people do to like, kind of like shine a a brighter light on this? Because I feel as though like, this is the type of things that's really keeping people from wanting to vote. 
you know, when they see, when they, when you see things like these kind of injustices happening, it kind of, in my mind, it's something that like would send someone who's like an elderly voter, for instance, like they're not going to want to go to the polls on a day like that when they're seeing like thousands of people crammed into line. Like, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of people who are that age are scared to vote when they see things like that. I, I don't know right. what the average person can do to get around that kind of injustice. You know, I, I, there's a few things that I would suggest. This is a very, this is a longstanding issue and as i you know we've been talking about the state of texas they have a lot of of lawsuits pending because of their of what they're doing their methodology behind in essence suppressing folks from voting or preventing people from voting so to the aclu yeah i mean the aclu absolutely you know i have a lot of um colleagues that that have volunteered their time working in the local chapter ACLU. I would definitely, I know um, some for your audience or listeners, there's also the NAACP. They, they may have a local chapter in the city or the state that you're living in, and they are very active in the um, political process, at least the, the chapter where I live is. And and when I say to folks on my show, you know, make sure that you're getting involved in your local elections, this is what I'm talking about. So we're you know, we obviously we know we have the the election going on. There's going to be massive amounts of of coalitions and organizations vying for your attention. Right now, I believe uh, the Senate Democrats, as Stacey Abrams, a lot of folks are really trying to rally around this idea of bringing and shining light onto states who are being resistant to mail-in voting, which Texas is being right now, and they're not alone. There's other states that are not. Um, going along with this either, which is a method to disenfranchise folks. So what I would say is wherever you live, get in touch with your, your local representatives and keep in mind that, and I would also visit the, um, the national, I think it's the national, it's the NCSL, mess the, the whole name up, but in essence, it's a, it's an excellent website with everything that you could possibly want to know when your general um when your general elections are when your primaries are all of that stuff so that you can keep abreast of what's going on in your state because that's going to be one of the main entry points where you can have some some level of effectiveness and get in with other orgs that are in your community doing this work we just named a couple um larger more well-known organizations but check out things at your local level as well if you're not so keen on the ACLU, you're not so keen on the NAACP, and I can certainly understand that, but that isn't an excuse not to find your tribe. <laughs> right. There is always some group out there. I know that uh, there are several groups here in and around the area where I live at in Missoula, Montana, uh, that have that have deep ties to trying to make voting more effective, more easy in this in this area, in this state. I am actually really proud of the fact that Missoula is going to an all mail-in voting for the election this year. So good on them. I even heard they're paying mm -hmm. for the postage. Better on them. Nice. Really appreciate that. So there are certain communities out there who are doing a good job. They are trying to promote voting, who are trying to increase voter turnouts. And then there are areas that are trying to use programs like the cross-check program mm. that, um, that are designed to purge voter rolls with extreme prejudice. Oh. Have you heard of the, uh, 
I will, I will say that I'm glad that a judge struck it down, but uh, did you hear of the cross-check program? I have heard of it and I, <laughs> I'm not as versed on it, but I have heard about it. And I was like, this sounds like some BS. <laughs> so the cross-check program, just to keep it really brief here, um, was a program designed uh, kind of like in a coordination between four different states, uh, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska. And the mm. idea was that it was a program designed just to make sure that people who are registered in one state weren't registered in another state. So oh, girl. it sounds harmless, right? And let me tell you about why it wasn't. So basically, after a couple of years of uh, investigating, what was found out was that the way the methodology that they used to do these cross checks, as they called them, um, was that they would just purge names off of voter lists if you had the same first and last name as somebody else in another state. So you oh. can imagine how this would affect certain communities, basically yeah. communities of color. In fact, found that community, Hispanic communities particularly were impacted by this because there were a lot of people with names like Jose Garcia. Mm -hmm. And so if you were Jose Garcia in Texas and Jose Garcia in Florida, then you were both kicked off the list. Wow. And a lot of times you would show up to it. election day not knowing that you had been purged until you went to go cast your ballot. So imagine doing all of that. Imagine getting off of work, you know, finding time to put your kids into daycare or getting someone to babysit, hiring a babysitter, driving to your polling place, standing in line for hours, being super excited about voting for someone. You get to the booth and you find out that you were purged for something that you had no control over and they just neglected to even tell you about it because they weren't obligated to. Oh, and since we're on this very subject, similar, not entirely the same, we have to talk about a woman named Crystal Mason who thought that she could cast her provisional ballot in 2016 in only to find out that she was not allowed because she was still under federal supervision or under federal release. So <laughs> she, yeah. So like, these are the, these are just a few of the examples of people who are just completely unaware how citizens can be completely unaware of, because who is going to take the time to dig through their state's election code? I mean, I did today, but that's, that's me. Right. That's not what the average person is doing. No, the average person isn't doing that. The average person no, thinks that this is a simple process. You register to vote, you, you show up to vote. I mean, it's crazy to me that these states can get away with purging someone off of a voter roll without telling them. Right. They, they don't even tell them. Like you would think if there was a problem with your registration, they would tell you. Because if there's like, going back to the IRS example, if there's a problem with your taxes, they let oh. you know, right? They're they coming. Wanna, yeah, they're coming to get their money. But if the other problem with your registration is like, oh, well, I mean, I guess you should have figured that out. Somehow. Should I have? Should I? Ha when? 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 Exactly. When? Okay, I'm I, done. You know, it, it's almost like they want to keep certain people from voting. Seems like it. Kind of comes back to the whole question that you brought up earlier about the felony disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. Now, this was a topic that I was actually pretty conflicted over. I'm not going to lie. So I think okay. we might have differing opinions here. Okay. So I'm looking at a map right now provided by the ACLU. Mm -hmm. There are two states out of 50 that allow 
everyone to vote in their state, no matter what. And that's those states are Maine and Vermont. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, besides Maine and Vermont, we have syrup and lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We have six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen other states that say that people who are currently in prison cannot vote, but everyone else can vote. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the country has varying degrees of you can. If you do have a felony conviction, you can vote upon the completion of your sentence, which includes parole and probation and paying fines, or certain states that say, well, some people can have their right to vote back once they do all those things, but others can't. And then some people, and I'm going to name them right now, Iowa, Kentucky, and Virginia, who have a system set up to where if you get a felony, you are permanently stripped of your- Iowa is trash. It's trash. Like trash on trash. Literally the governor has to, <laughs> has to reinstate. And now what now? So I did look at that because I was pretty much when I saw it like mouth agape. So yes. when I did quickly looked, it, at least from their website, it seem like you do it's like an automatic thing i it seems like it it seems like the governor and and like all that will give you your your rights back automatically it seems like it i don't know like it's not something that you have to like apply i don't think but again it's still heinous (laughs) that's still completely heinous that you just completely lose your 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 complete right to vote is just taken away from you and furthermore, I know we're supposed, I'm supposed to, all right. But the thing is, furthermore, yeah. that, you know, if folks are, like, things don't stop, all right? So, meaning, like, if a person has children and they are supposed to be um, paying child support, unless certain, in certain states, I think you can do this. You can actually call them and say, hey, I'm incarcerated, please pause this. But in some states, like, that doesn't happen. So you're continuing to incur costs from child support, even ineligible to pay. So even when a person is out of, of incarceration, they still ha- are going to be under some level of surveillance on, for their, as part of their probation. But if there are any kind of fines that have accumulated while they're incarcerated, they have to pay that too. And if they can't pay that, they can't get their, their in some states, they can't get their rights reinstated. It is interesting to me some of the language that you would see when it comes to the reinstatement um, policies in some of these states. I happen to um, just go over Delaware's, for instance, Mm. and Delaware says that, you know, upon the completion of your sentence, you know, including parole, probation, paying fines, so on and so forth, you can have your right to vote back if and only if you did not commit murder, manslaughter, or a sexual offense. And so I felt like that was a really strange gray area to be in. Because personally, I don't believe that anyone should have their right to vote taken, you know, away from them permanently. At the same time, it's hard to have a debate where you're debating on the behalf of someone who murdered and or raped somebody. Mm -hmm. And I believe that like, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why you have, when I look at this map right now, this map is deeply colored in disenfranchisement, Mm -hmm. probably because it is really hard to make the case that yes, that person did kill that other person, but you should give them the right to vote again. It's hard to make that case. 
personally, I was having a really hard time in this gray area, even though I agreed that everyone should have their right to vote. I'm really interested in your take, though. Like, why do you think that anyone should be able to vote regardless of what they've done? Because I think that... So because we're, we're talking about a couple of different things and I know that, and what I'm going to say, I want to preface not trying to minimize anyone's experience as far as losing a loved one through a, a very violent manner. Um, what I, and I actually know people who, who have killed others and that has also informed my opinion because I didn't get to know that information until I met the person first. Um, so what I will say is that there's a little bit of a difference between this idea of what should be done to penalize someone and then what is going the extra step of just fully stripping them of their rights. And America has a very, very interesting perspective on, on right and wrong. And this is not, this is a, a law, another, much like voting is another longstanding issue, this issue of, of what is considered to be um, too long for folks to stay in jail, all these things, what's considered cruel and unusual. These are all things that have been going, have, have been in subject of, of discussion for a long time. So what I will say is that, you know, keeping someone's right to vote or taking away their right to vote isn't synonymous with them paying for their debt to society. I think that we have got to kind of uncouple this concept of of punishment and start to see that much like the social issue of forcibly removing someone from a home or a community, that um, that is not the best method. And it also completely takes, you know, a certain population, percentage of the population completely off the, out of the playing field. And since we're already talking about methods in which voter voting or voting has been votering, voting has been decreased. I mean, this is another example of that. And I think the difficulty that people feel about it is because where where our minds are automatically going to the rapists and the murderers. And as we know, uh, that's not even like the, the main jail population is not full of rapists and murderers. So, I mean, I know that's, but the, but unfortunately, that's where people's minds go when they think about who's in jail and right. that we should prevent those folks from having a say in the election. And for whatever reason, I'm sure there's some that, oh, they committed a violent crime or whatever, but it's like people commit crimes all the time. People do things that are, that are harmful all the time. It's just that you didn't get caught for it. So <laughs> should we take your right to vote away because you, you stole a candy bar out of CVS? I don't know. And I'm not trying to compare stealing a candy bar from like literally like going brrrat, Tony Montana style or whatever. I'm not trying to do that. But what I am trying to say is that I think we have to kind of uncouple that a little bit. I understand where you're coming from. And I want to take a quick second to, you know, applaud you. That's not an answer, not an easy question to answer. I kind of put you on the spot there. I'm not, <laughs> not going to apologize. I'm just saying, you know, thank you for taking the time to answer that question. I'm going to wrap up this half of the episode by just kind of giving my two cents on it, just to, for fairness sake. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that people should have their rights back when they leave jail. Jail, at the end of the day, well, if we trust our 
our, you know, our uh, criminal justice system, which that's a whole <laughs> conversation to have. But if you want to trust your criminal justice system, essentially in the court system, in the sentencing, then you should just allow this idea that once you go to jail, that is your sentence for your crime. I don't understand why you should continue to have to pay once you've gotten out of jail. If you believe that the crime was so heinous that that person should continue to pay, then why did we let them out of jail? Maybe they should have just stayed in jail. And some people do. Some people stay in jail for their entire lives, depending on the severity of the crime they commit, correct? Mm -hmm. So maybe those people never get their rights back because obviously they're being detained for the rest of their lives. But if you're going to allow someone to come out of jail, you are basically saying that you have paid your debt to society. And in my opinion, if we are saying that that person has paid their debt to society, then they should be reinstated back into, into everyday normal life. So that's my final take of it. On that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Rashida Green of the Crossroads Podcast. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode, Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking around. We are still joined here by Miss Rashida Green. How are you doing? I'm good. Hanging in there. This has been a very interesting conversation we've been having, sir. It has been a long day so far. <laughs> we, during the break, we, you know, because just to give everyone at home some context, we're recording this on the, the night of the 18th. And we found out that um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has unfortunately passed away tonight so uh, yeah that is uh that is you know quite the shame there i mean i know that she lived a long life but you know it's always sad when you see someone pass on like that 
Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like we were saying, you know, it, it makes, it puts a little bit more of, of a stake in this election. Um, yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I mean, because we're going to transition here a little bit. We've been talking about voter suppression. And now I want to spend a little bit of time just briefly touching on different like things that can allow people to vote more easily mm-hmm. and kind of like talking about why people should vote. Like, why should you care? And I guess, you know, unfortunately with, you know, Ruth's passing, you know, it's just one, another, like another topic that kind of like illustrates like why people need to be a little more engaged in elections, because I don't think people always know what the impacts will be of certain elections like this. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, like after we talked about all the different ways that voter suppression was happening. So one of the things I wanted to talk about today um, are laws that I feel like affect you the most, because we always like to talk about things that are happening on the federal level mm-hmm. with, you know, the House of Representatives and the Senate and, you know, the White House itself. And we love to talk about these you know, these uh, bills that come through like the federal Congress. But in all actuality, most things that come out of like the federal like houses don't really affect your lives as much as what happens on the state and local levels. Now, I feel like, you know, most people don't actually know who their state representatives are, the people who are in their state houses or their state senates, who their mayors are, who their city council members are. Some people don't know that they have things called special districts which will tax them for any reasons that you can think of. Mm-hmm. Now, I felt pretty embarrassed about this myself. I did not know until just last night who my state senator and state like house representative were. I didn't even know what district I was in. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as far as like, you know, like these like local like ordinances are concerned, I feel like, you know, there's a lot more like at stake with these local elections. So when people are asking themselves, like, why should you vote? Why should you care about voting? I always like to like point out that there are so many things going on the local levels, which affect you so much more than things that are affecting you on the national level. Yeah. Do you, what kind of examples do you have that are happening mm-hmm. like in your like local area that you can kind of highlight? Wow. Okay. So there's, there's a few. So um, in the state of Maryland, what, there's, we have our legislative session. Now session starts in, oh God, I made the dates wrong. I believe it's from January until April. It is very, very short. And so the problem with that is that you really have to stay on top of it or be, be in with either organizations that are already doing it. There's a lot of great ones in Maryland. I did mention the ACLU and the local chapter. Um, there's also Job Opportunities Task Force. Um, they are actually based in Baltimore, and it's a little bit more so focused on just making, like, empowering folks to take active parts in the legislative process. Um, and part of what they do with that is helping to support policy decisions. So, for folks that may not understand those kinds of things, because it's a lot of legal jargon and it's very, like I mentioned, very fast paced. So examples of things that have come out of, of recent sessions, there was a, um, a bill to ban profiling folks who had um, 
flags or any kind of paraphernalia hanging from their rear view mirrors. Right. And you may think, huh, that sounds random. Why would, any, how, why would that be a problem? Well, there's a, a likelihood that people of color are, are having flags from their countries or um, other sort of items that display some part of their culture in their vehicle. And yeah. that is a way to, to profile and racial profiling based upon the, 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 the crime report that came out of our, uh, that the federal investigation that came out of um, the aftermath of Freddie Gray revealed that there was a lot of bias in specifically in Baltimore city police. But I mean, we know that this is something that's statewide too, that racial profiling is a very serious issue in the state of Maryland. And so a bill of that nature helps to protect folks who would normally be susceptible to being profiled because of some sort of means of designating them from others. So that's just one, one specific example. Let me think of something else. Yeah, it's, it's the things you don't always like think about. I yeah. mean, I think for a lot of people, they, they don't like really always like think about like, oh, how do politics actually affect my life? And they, and they affect your yeah. life in so many ways, but a lot of them are at the local level. I mean, you think yeah. about decisions that are made by school boards, like mm -hmm. you elect your school superintendents locally. When you yep. think about like things as simple as like, do the police get funding, which is a big topic right now. That's just, yeah. those are usually decide by city council members mm -hmm. and whatever like city that you may live in or town you may live in. You know, when you yeah. think about just like the budgets in your local city about like, you know, like who gets what resources, a lot of that stuff gets done locally. And some of these elections are, you know, close races in a lot of places, depending on where you live. And there's a lot of people who run for certain offices that run unopposed, mm -hmm. typically because there's so such disinterest in these races altogether that these people yeah. get away with running unopposed. And then once they get in office, basically what they would, they run what's referred to as being a ghost government. They have no oversight, so they can get away with doing basically whatever they want to. Mm -hmm. You know, we reached out to some house district members here in Montana who said that like they don't even read bills unless they they get letters from constituents in their like neighborhoods wow. that ask them to pay attention to a certain issue otherwise they just vote the way the party wants them to vote mm -hmm. and that's what um, organizations like job opportunities task force and even some orgs um, where I lived um, the Silver Spring Justice Coalition is another one that really came out of um, out of a, a local murder of a man named Robert White who was gunned down by a police officer. And they are very active and go to Annapolis to, you know, make certain that bills that they are in support of are being, they testify, you know, they're in support of these bills and they want to make sure that the people that they've elected or even the ones that they didn't in, in districts that they don't live in make wanting them to understand that what is being said or what is being put forth is important and so that's why i just say like the main of it's very important to get to know your city council members it is important to get to know who's running because these are you're actually these are your neighbors these are the people who live either in your community locally or within a 20 15 so mile radius they're they're somewhere close to you and right. that means that you, that also means that you have 
access to them. But if you want to be represented, you want to meet somebody that's going to share your ideals, that's going to understand and be open to hearing what your issues are, the way that you cannot get to someone on the federal level. And shout out to that queen who told Donald Trump not to interrupt her while she asked her question and told him she had all these degrees. I mean, I forgot, I don't remember her name, but she, you know, shout out to her. But it's like, we may not have that level of access, but you may have more access to your county council person. You may have more access to one of your delegates. So get to know those kinds of people. Exactly. And you know, the question that comes up a lot when we're having conversations like this is like, how much does my vote really matter? And that's something that I keep coming back to. How much does your vote really matter? Well, let me tell you about a really, you know, what would seem to be a minor like law that got passed here where I live in Missoula, Montana. So they were trying to implement, you know, like a gas tax, like here in town, just like last year. And we had over 50,000 people vote on this tax and it ended up passing by just like 300 votes. Hmm. And it's just one of those small examples about just like how like literally like every little vote did count in that sense. And so, you know, you would think that, you know, like maybe there's some things that you just like, you don't want to pay attention to or that you don't want to take the extra time to look at, but there's always measures on these ballots that are on there, not only with, you know, the federal people that you're voting for or the state people you're voting for, but like local measures, you mm -hmm. know, for instance, in Montana this year, we're voting on something called LR 130, which is the limit local government authority to regulate firearms measure. Mm. So Montana being a very red state, you know, they're very pro gun. Now, yeah. as the law currently stands, uh, local governments, like local cities can not regulate, you know, whether or not people are allowed to buy guns, but they can regulate if you can have a concealed weapon in their town and they can mm -hmm. regulate if, you know, people who have had felonies or people who are considered to be, you know, like mentally unstable for one reason or another, you know, people of that nature, if they're allowed to have um, automatic weapons or, or I'm sorry, semi-automatic weapons, assault rifles. Mm. Wow. And so this ballot, this measure on this ballot would look to essentially restrict or not restrict, they would just absolutely completely overturn any local government's decision to do so. And then all decisions would come at the state level which their hope is to essentially allow concealed carry to happen in any part of the state, no matter what. And mm. so that anyone can have a, an assault rifle, regardless of if they were, you know, previously, you know, like a, a convicted felon or if they had a mental issue or whatever the case may be, anyone would be able to have an assault weapon. So that is something that I did not know was on my ballot until today. <laughs> I am going to take a quick shout out to Ballotpedia, which I've actually used hmm. in the past in 2018 yeah. and 2016. They are um, a nonprofit organization. You can find them online at ballotpedia.org. All you have to do is just type in your zip code and they will show you essentially what is on your ballot. Like right now, you can go right now to their website and look at exactly what's going to be on your ballot in November so that you can already kind of get an idea of how you feel about these things versus trying to decide on the day. Mm -hmm. So that is a resource that I will tell everyone about because I did not realize that was on my ballot. It gives me something extra to think about. 
And it's just, we are living in a time where I feel as though people are becoming disengaged with the political process on some places because like they're just kind of tired of all the nastiness in our politics. Yeah. They're tired of the divisiveness. They're tired of the choices we have, as we talked about at the beginning, between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. But on the opposite end, I am seeing an increase in turnout across the nation. There was increases in turnouts in the primaries in several states this year. There was a record turnout in the primaries in my state of Montana. So I was pretty... Um, pretty shocked by that. In fact, our midterm election actually matched our 2016 election from 2018 wow. to 2016, which okay. is the first time in history that's ever happened in our state. So I was pretty encouraged by that. So it feels as though, you know, certain people in the state are taking voting more seriously. But unfortunately, when I look across the nation, I just don't see that in that many places. There's only like maybe like seven or eight states where you really see this turnout coming up. Yeah. And I just wanted to ask your opinion on this a little bit. Like, like, what do you, like, what do you think people should do to increase turnout? Like for those I, who do care about politics, how do we help other people who don't care as much? I think we have to continue to bring these things into our conversations. Like one of my friends is uh, very active with um, climate change and she, one of the strategies that she likes to use is, just randomly talking to people or bringing or inserting climate change into their conversations. They could be talking about toilet paper, for example, and she'll say, you know, we have a really big problem with paper waste. What do you think about that? And just start talking and engaging our family, engaging our friends in these conversations, because if not for us, they probably wouldn't know otherwise. So we have access in our community to each other where we can start to reinforce those conversations about why voting is important, why participating in your local election is important, why whatever community issue you're facing deserves to have some action behind it if you want to seek the change. So I think that's definitely a first step. And I think that like the, the youths are doing a really great job of creating that kind of synergy using social media. And so if, to me, if you really want to, if you're not really so sold and you want something a little more visual, visual, blah, 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 visual, <laughs> visual, visual oh, and tangible. I'm not that out, so. <laughs> Damn it. Um, if you want something a little more visual and tangible, social media is a great place for that. Meaning yeah. it's, it's a short term solution. It should not be where you stop. But it is certainly a place to get really quick, you know, micro doses of information and prayerfully accompanied by some links to some articles. So I think the first place to start is just like using your network and also just looking into certain topics of interest. Like you'd be surprised if you just quickly looked, looked at your district where you live and see what's what's going on. Like for example, where I live, it is, we have a, a food security report and yes, I've read it. <laughs> and some of the things that it's, it 
very clearly states is, you know, the county that I live in is, is considered to be very diverse. You know, it's considered a, a, a minority majority, yet it takes about $90,000 for a family of four just to have the basics. Mm. So that's, I mean, that like, like think about what that means. And that's not just, I said the basics now. I'm not talking about like having nice things. It's just for a roof over your head and a car to drive and food to eat. That's it. And that's expensive. And it seems like it, it limits people from actually being able to, to stick around or to stay. And even though, you know, and in terms of food, there are folks who are suffering from food insecurity or having an, a lack of access to nutritious or healthy food within like a 1.5 to three mile um, distance. And if you don't know that about your county, if you don't actually take the time just to look to see, you won't know that these are the kinds of issues that are that are affecting you. And unless it is your personal experience and even more so if it's your personal experience, you damn sure better be trying to find some organizations or some other people to get organized and get out and get active. I mean, because if you've got the personal experience, that's exactly the kind of fuel that the movement needs. We need more yes. folks with the personal experience who are often the most marginalized out there speaking truth to power. Yes, I love all of that. I mean, <laughs> there is there is just too many people right now, I feel like, in this country who feel like their voices don't matter. Oh, man. And, and you know what? I don't have the, you know, the scope of the entire country, but we all live in our, like, consolidated, like, social media bubbles where we see the, the same, like, 100 to 200 accounts every day. So like we all have like little snapshots of our neighborhoods, right? Whether our mm -hmm. neighborhood is our actual local neighborhood or if it's just the random people that we've collected over the years who live in all these different places now. Right. But with that being said, just I want people to understand one thing when it comes to the power of their vote. You know, every time that movements take form in some way, shape or form, like there is always some kind of like domino effect to that. And you've seen that recently with the George Floyd protests. You know, mm -hmm. since those protests have begun, 13 cities in America have moved to defund their police. Now, whether you agree with defunding the police or not, you cannot argue the fact that those protests led to that change. Yeah. You cannot argue the fact that Bernie Sanders, when he started running for president uh, back in 2015, since he started running in 2015, almost everything that he was talking about five years ago that was considered radical is now becoming mainstream ideas. You know, yep. whether it's like, you know, healthcare for all, or whether it's like free college or a $15 an hour minimum wage or a green new deal. These are all becoming mainstream topics because he and a bunch of people around him, including some really great members of the, of the U S house right now decided to really get around these deals and to, continuously talk about them and then a bunch of people can start talking about them and that's how these things happen it's never just one person it's a wave yes you know and when i watch the primaries this time around you know before the pandemic kind of changed the dynamics of the primaries the one thing that i saw that really upset me was when you took a look at super tuesday mm -hmm. and you look at the voters who voted on that day in those 15 states you had the situation where you have almost just as many registered voters 
or eligible voters, excuse me, who are between the ages of 45 and older and then 18 to 45. And the 45 and older crowd doubled up the 18 to 45 crowd in voter turnout. Yeah. They doubled them up, even though they had the exact same numbers. Because people who are a little bit older vote like their lives depend on it. And yeah. people who are in our age bracket love to post things on Instagram and then not show up <laughs> when it's time to vote. Yes, if you feel like I called you out right now, it's because I did. Okay? Oh, man. I'm just saying, like, I know that we all care about these issues. That's why we're always talking about them. That's why you post about them. That's why you talk about them with your friends. I mean, these things all matter to us. You just have yeah. to translate that to showing up on election day. Yes. I know it takes a little bit of work. I know we don't want to, we don't want to do it. We don't want to talk about it. It's toxic. I get that, but it's going to get more toxic. It's going to get worse if you decide to yourself that you don't have any power when the truth is that you do. I agree. I think that, you know, we have to, whatever your reason was in the past for voting, I know in my experience, um, a lot of my friends and I talk about a lot of the good feeling that we had when Barack Obama was running for office. Even though I think that momentum built over time, because I know for myself, I wasn't overly thrilled about the prospect of voting for him. I really was leaning more towards, at the time, Hillary Clinton. Um, but as I, I transitioned into really seeing Barack Obama and really feeling like this could be a possibility, you know, and then what we actually got. And I know that's been really hard for everyone, especially for those of us who, you know, were of the my president is black wave where it was just so the the air was just so ripe with just we are going to go into a new era. And that is really not what we got. And I think it, after that, seeing what we, what has now become a little bit more symbolic of the, of a vision of hope or a vision of change. But really when you kind of break it down and you think about it, I mean, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama are of a certain class of, of black elite. And even though they do a very excellent job of grounding themselves and being at being at seem or at times very grounded to us, the reality is, is that they're not at all. And that there's only a certain like caliber of folks that can actually like sit with them for real. Yeah. And I think that when we're looking at who we have from the democratic party, I think that's, that continues to be what we see and feel that we're not, we're seeing more of long-term um, lifelong politicians mixed in with some, you know, poor decisions in the, in the district attorney's office and, <laughs> you know, other things. And mm -hmm. I think that's why people feel like their votes don't count or that they're just sort of, they're having to give it over reluctantly to someone that they don't like. I think it's because we, we really had to, you know, realize that we weren't going to get the change that we thought. And I, I know that was a difficult thing for a lot of us. And we, cause we were really thinking that maybe he would do something for us. And, and we, I think black folks should realize that specifically black folks should realize that Barack Obama did do things for us. It just that it's just that it came under other it came like in another form than what we were expecting, and yes, there was still a lot more that he could have done. I agree, but 
it is what it is. So now we have to decide if we're not going to support this Democratic Party any longer, are we going to try to transform it or are we going to form something else? And maybe that is the thing that will get people um, inspired again. But I think in the, in the interim, in terms of this particular election, vote for Joe Biden if you want to. And if he gets elected, keep his feet to the fire. Don't take your foot off his neck. Like, you know, make sure that you, but also make certain that the folks that you're sending to Congress, that you're sending to represent you, really represent you. That's where you have the most power. Yes. And that is why it is important to vote. It's, it's the long game. You have to have, you have to try the best you can to have the vision. And I know that's hard, but you have to be able or willing to at least try to. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who will, you know, like they might feel like they're disenfranchised because they live in a state where their vote doesn't count as much because of the right. electoral college, oh, which yes. is a, which is a slight tease for a little bit later. But, um, you know, maybe you are a Republican who lives in, you know, Vermont, or you're a Democrat that lives in Mississippi, and you feel like your God vote bless just, you. You, you feel like your vote just doesn't matter. But these things aren't true. I mean, you have all the time, you know, like Democrats and Republicans being elected to the Senate and to the House in those states. And so maybe you can't affect things federally the way that you want to, but it doesn't mean that your vote doesn't have an impact on your life itself. Right. And so, you know, with that being said, I'm going to close this out by just reminding people that is, you know, is not great as things are here, you know, one of the things I like to remind myself is that for hundreds of years, people who looked a certain way and who were born a certain way didn't even have the ability to vote. And they had to fight like hell to get to the point where they could vote. And I try to remember how important that is when I'm trying to think about like, you know, like, oh, well, does my vote even matter? And I also try to think about people who were still dealing with that today the people who were disenfranchised like we talked about earlier in this episode or the people who live in other countries mm -hmm. who can't vote in real elections, North Korea, China, we're looking at you. So, you know, thoughts are out with those people, the people who can't exercise their rights the way that they should be able to. And with that being said, I'm going to close out this episode by asking Rashida to please plug her podcast one more time because the people need to go see your podcast for more than one reason. I mean, obviously you have an amazing show, but even more so is because I'm going to be on it in the future. Yes, you are. Uh, yeah. So the Crossroads podcast is available on all platforms. You can follow me on Instagram at Crossroads podcast, Twitter, Facebook, Crossroads pod C1, Visit my website, allroadscross.com, where I have all of my episodes, a little bit of information about me and my blog that I've yet to update. It's coming though. And what else? Yes, Desmond's going to be on the show soon. My show is about environmental justice and those who fight the fight with skin as melanated as the days are long, but that does not mean that other folk are not, are not allowed to be guests on my show or to listen to it. So it, the Crossroads podcast is for everyone. Yes. And when you do go over to the Crossroads podcast, please, if you're going on Apple, give it a five-star review because yes. four stars, we, we, we don't do four stars, five-star reviews That's only. Right. Please subscribe. 
Rashida, thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. And you are welcome back anytime. And we will try to find a way to uh, not have a five-hour podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We will work on that. We will work work on, on, we will. Yes. To everyone else, uh, thank you so much. And we're going to take one last break here. And I'm going to finish the episode with some final thoughts of my own. We'll be right back. Thanks for sticking with us through this, my longest episode to date of Independent Thought. I appreciate everyone who's taking the time to listen to this entire episode. If you are one of those people who got to the very end, come give me a shout out in the DMs and on Instagram or Twitter to let me know you made it through the entire episode. I appreciate you. I want to leave you with one final thought for the day. When I was trying to craft this episode and trying to formulate the right ideas around why it is important to vote. I was going through statistics. I was reading through studies. I even called some friends and asked their opinions. Like, what exactly should you say to somebody who isn't completely convinced that their vote matters? How do you convince someone that voting individually is an impactful thing? And there wasn't one particular answer I got There wasn't one like magic sentence or phrase that I felt like really hit home. But what was interesting to me was I felt like everywhere that I went looking for this answer, there was a different answer from everyone and from every place. Which just leads me to believe one thing in particular. Voting means something different to everyone. So there isn't one defined reason about why voting is important. For some, it's feeling like they have some level of power in their life. For others, it's a way of staying engaged in their community. For others, it feels like a civic duty. And for some people, they just do it because they just want to do it. They don't really have a good reason for it. If you're still one of those people who's not sure if your vote matters or if your vote counts or if you should even bother with voting, I want to just leave you with this. There are going to be times in your life where you're going to be talking with somebody about something that you're passionate about. Maybe you're passionate about a TV show, or you're passionate about a new hobby that you have, or you're passionate about a new relationship that you're in. And you'll be surprised as as you're having a conversation with somebody that the person that you're talking to, who may not have cared about what you were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, by the end of the conversation, all of a sudden cares more about the subject that you're discussing. And The simple idea of that is that when we express ideas to each other that are important to us, it's amazing how these topics can just kind of translate from one person to the next and then that person becomes enthusiastic about it. That is essentially how ideas are transmitted through our society and that's how we can have a stronger impact on our communities around us. The reason why we always feel like these elections don't matter as much as we want them to is I think because we do not spend enough time as a society really talking about these issues amongst ourselves. That taboo in our society that we cannot talk about politics, that you can't talk about religion or politics, with politics being in that phrase, has not helped our society really as much as it's hindered us. 
I encourage everyone to be more vocal about the things that you believe in, but in a civilized way. Just finding ways to insert things that matter politically into regular everyday conversations because we need to talk about these things more. And the more that we talk about them, the more the better off that our society will be overall. Because right now, it is my belief that the political establishment is so corrupt because they're able to get away with what they're able to get away with because there are so many people that are not involved in the process. And so to end this episode today, I will you know, leave you with you know, the quote of the day. And my quote of the day is, you see things and you say why, but I dream of things that never were and say why not. To all of you out there, Remember to embrace your independence and I will see you next time.